you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On She Goes, the podcast. Uh, Today, we have a really special guest, someone that I've been following for quite a while now. Um, Her name is Dr. Kiana. She is a PhD, a master in science and master in arts. Uh, She is also the creator of How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. (laughs) Thank you, Kiana, so much for joining us or joining me today, I guess I should say. Um, first and foremost, how are you? Are you? I feel like you can't start any conversation nowadays without asking, how are you doing? You know, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is a good breakup of my day of like doing nothing, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm here and I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I feel you. So I was reading about you, and um, I like I said, I've been following you for a while. Um, the things that I love that you stand for. Uh, just like your anti-influencer travel mentality. I love that because I think it's so much more than just like beautiful photos, expensive resorts, trying to get a free stay somewhere, you know, all of the things that are kind of unattainable to the regular person, to be honest. Um, But, you know, to each is their own. But also, I think that you do very important things. You're all about traveling responsibly, making sure that you highlight the people and the places that you go to. Tell me a little bit about being the anti-influencer of travel. What is, I, I I don't know if you call yourself that, but I've heard other people call you that, other places. Yeah, that was coined by Outside Magazine when they did an interview for me, and I loved it. I was like, oh, something about this was like, not like anti-influencing, but like anti-influencer lifestyle, because I think there's just like weird connotation attached to Instagram influencers like who they don't have real jobs um they like just fly around the world for free they advertise products they troll around in a dress blah 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 but to me I'm like okay all of that is fine but what does it mean what does it mean to like be in those places um how did what if you can't fly around for free which I don't I pay for all my own stuff no one's flying me around for free so what does that look like how are women of color achieving this because we are flourishing and thriving and listen we can pay for our own stuff and we can travel and it is attainable take some planning take some privilege uh you know Mm -hmm. but what does all of that look like how does it look like navigating all of the oppression as well as privilege and when we step into another place Mm -hmm. how are we recalibrating how are we respecting those people especially if we expect Mm -hmm. to be respected um Mm -hmm. when we're disrespected how does it make us feel how can we make create solutions all of these things it just goes beyond surface level which I feel like Instagram influencing has been historically kind of shallow um and I Mm -hmm. feel like I want to do Instagram influencing, but make it deep. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to how you started, but I speaking on that topic, you, you're you very authentic. You talk about things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. You talk about, uh, you know, of how social media comments affect your mental health. Um, you've talked about being sexually assaulted in Morocco while you were traveling. You were very honest about that and the backlash that you received for that. How did you 
decide? Have you always been this like honest in your in your platform? And how did you decide to just be like, I'm just going to be super honest, very vulnerable? How did you decide to do that? Uh, that's a really good question. I think if you were to ask my friends, I've always been this honest and probably why some of those friends are my friends no more. But <laughs> um, I think authenticity has always been something important to me and something I've always done. And it hasn't always played out in my favor. Even online, it doesn't always play out in my favor. But if I'm not authentic, then people can't authentically respond to what I'm saying. Um, and then right. I can't make authentic connections if I'm not being authentic myself. And then if I do make right. connections and it's based on something not authentic, like how those connections are weak and they're based on like a lie. So to me in my life, it's always been a thing where I've just tried to operate in my most authentic self being I guess, around family members and other people who didn't do that. And I see the mistakes and relationships that those that have developed out of that and how I didn't want that. Um, so it's just been my thing. But being authentic in person is totally different than being authentic online. And it is a constant learning process for me because people I don't know these people online yeah strangers it's a lot of people it's a lot of it's people so many people they can literally write anything about you like I could publish something one day and forget about it the next day and all of a sudden you see a think piece on it somebody's doing a whole story spinoff off of you like damn mm -hmm. well I'll tell you for sure like you have a humanizing effect to Instagram and I think that's really great because it gives people especially people like me who are just a regular person, you know, perspective on different things. Like, like I said, I love the way that you travel because to me, I'm like, that's how you're supposed to travel. Like I can appreciate that. That feels attainable. That feels realistic to me. Whereas like other things I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to be on those steps in Mykonos. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm ever going to have a dress that's blowing in the wind all the way up to the sky. Like, I just don't know. I don't have a fan with me. <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't have the things, you know, but like, um, I want to go back a little bit. How did you get started? Um, so I was I was traveling every month with my best friend. We were both college students and, you know, Spirit Air. I know people shit on it, but it got us a lot of places <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, Still I hear to you. Today. Um, and we were finding $30 tickets, $50 tickets. We were like, all right, let's go. And so we, like, learned how to surf. We were, like, going to El Salvador, Mexico, Nicaragua, like, wherever was cheapest. Mm -hmm. And just like surfing, basically. And we would just go for the weekend and come back because it was like 50 bucks. Like I spent more on an Uber or like going downtown right. taking shots. So right. I was like, no, we go on surfing. And so we were doing mm -hmm. that every month. And then we realized how different we were. Like we would be with different crowds of people. Like basically we would see basic bitches out right. and be like, you know what? Let's not go there. Let's go the other way. Um, and we found ourselves like way more hanging out with locals, learning from them. We still keep in touch with all of them. Like it was just a totally different experience. And then when we would go on the blogs to see like, all right, where's the spots at? It was the same spots that like we didn't want to be at. And we were like, yeah. what is the difference between us and like these so-called basic bitches to us? And so one day I, I, we were getting drunk and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a blog called How to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. So like when other people like us look up where the spots are, 
they gonna come to our page, not that page, because I'm not trying to hang out right. with them. <laughs> um, and right. so that's how I started it. Okay. And so I know that you have a BA in sports medicine. You have two master's degrees, uh, nutritional epidemiology and statistics, and you also have a PhD in nutritional sciences. You're very into education, and I know that you um, education is a huge focus for you for travel. Um, is this what you thought that you would be doing? No. When you... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when I started this, I was like just starting my PhD, I think maybe I, I was already in grad school. And so I thought I was just going to like go into like academia and teaching or whatever. But then like, as I went through my PhD, I was like, you know what, these, okay, these professors are very intelligent in certain things, but yeah. their white whiteness held them back a lot. For sure. And what didn't give them a lot of cultural relevance, nor the self-awareness to step back and be mm -hmm. like, hey, what are my biases? What am I bringing into this? Um, who do, who is the real expert here? Or who can we like collaborate with to make this a better project for the people that we're studying right. if they're not going to all be white, rich people? Right. And so I was like, you know what? I've learned way more traveling about what is relevant and what is not relevant from experts I've met in those places and I have really in university mm -hmm. I think university I learned like how to research how to do methodology but I felt like it was like a huge gap of cultural relevance and understanding and different perspectives like it was just like one perspective and I was only getting that supplemental education through travel mm -hmm. and then I was like well I'm just going to start posting what I learned along the way and then through that like I've also refined my techniques on like passing the mic you know doing interviews putting faces to the knowledge redefining mm -hmm. what an expert looks like or is or how they talk right and also I realized the privilege of like being a woman of color and getting a PhD like not mm -hmm. a lot of people get to do that I yeah. think one percent of the world gets a PhD and like I don't even know how many women of yeah, color got one. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably like 0. 0.5. I mean, I don't know. It might yeah. be more than that now, but I don't know. I have yeah. no idea, but there's not a lot of us. I was yeah. like, what can I do with this privilege? And so I was like, man, like this should totally be accessible to like everybody because our world would be such a more understanding place if we could be educated on each other through yeah, each other. I agree. I think that like travel expands your mind. I feel like you learn so much when you go to other places and see how other people live. And like, honestly, it's something that is like, it's apparent in a lot of the discrimination that happens in this country, specifically, like the people who are the most closed minded are the ones that are so afraid of everything and everyone and probably the most discriminatory. And it's like, yeah, because you have not been anywhere else. Um, in your travels, you know, you've probably learned so much. What is, what do you think is the first prominent lesson that you learned in your travels? That's a really good question. The, f I think the most important thing that I've learned so far is that there are indigenous peoples all over the world mm -hmm. that you are the original ha inhabitants. And it's almost a pattern that I can bank on that they are the most marginalized in that place. Always. And it's usually government mandated through policy, through war. Um, and those people are still under that. And, and it doesn't matter where. It could be Canada, United States. It could be uh, Africa. I mean, I just mm -hmm. went to Sudan and same. Mm -hmm. They have indigenous peoples there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Taiwan, whatever. It doesn't matter. There, there are people that are originally there that are the most 
marginalized. And I, I'm sorry, I like been trying consciously not to have put hierarchies on oppression because I think it's, it hasn't been effective for change in standing in solidarity. I think we can recognize that we're all different, but I want to move away from hierarchy. So I don't want to say most, but I want to say that it's been very similar across the board where Indigenous peoples have these same government policies of removing them from their land, Mm -hmm. forbidding them to like speak their language. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realize that those people usually have obviously the most knowledge of the land. Of course, yeah. They are the natural inhabitants. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, these people are literal books that are dying and being murdered every single day. We should be glorifying them and listening to them and paying attention to them because they are the wealth of knowledge of generations that's been passed down. Tell me a little bit about your um, monthly educational trips to Cuba. How did that, like, what What are those trips? I know how it started, but I guess the audience might not know. But what do those trips entail as well? Yeah, so... Basically, I I stream educational lessons online, and it's not always my knowledge. It's Mm -hmm. usually, like, somebody else's knowledge that I'm just streaming, and Mm -hmm. I I pay them for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, with the Cuba lessons, I got so many followers being like, when can I come to Cuba with you? When can I come to Cuba with you? And I'm like, never, girl. Like, I don't travel with strangers. Like, I don't know you. Um, <laughs> like, uh. I, yeah, I don't know you. And like, right. you know, you know, like if you travel with somebody who's not a good travel buddy, oh, like, I've been there. And so I was like, this is this is never gonna happen yeah. until um, Cubans asked me. They asked me if I could start it, That's and then cool. I was like, okay. Because Trump had closed, well, he just, he didn't close the borders. He just, like, made it more difficult. Yeah. And so they were like, we're losing business. We had all this business with Obama. Now with Trump, people have no idea that they can still come, where to go, what to see. And so they were like, can you please bring people? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this group trip, (laughs) one, it can't be all white people because I cannot. Yeah. And so... (laughs) All of my group trips um, have a 50% diversity requirement, and most of them actually go over. It's usually like 80% nice. POC. Great. Um, and so that's one, because I know that I would be uncomfortable being a minority in a group. Yeah. I'm okay with being the only if there's other onlys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I can't have, like... One group, one majority dominate the conversation. For sure. And I felt, and also like it's more fun with like different types of people. Like I'm Asian. I don't want to travel with 10 Asian people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that would be absolutely boring to me. Yeah. Yeah. I like you. I would, I want, I would love to like learn from other people, my group members, as well as from the people in that country. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have a diversity requirement. And two, it's going to be education and. I want to hire all Cubans, all private businesses, all private homes, all private restaurants. Um, That way it's going directly to humans. Right. Um, I oversampled. So Cuba's black and white and very, very, very small percent Asian. And the indigenous population is all but decimated. So I was like, um, of the Cubans, the most marginalized are Afro-Cubans. So I'm going to oversample those businesses so that it goes back into a marginalized group within that country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were all going to be experts in their field. So a lot of people come to Cuba and ask their taxi driver, like, 
Where should I what's, go? Yeah, what's mm-hmm. what's the government like? Well, I'm like, how you, your taxi driver ain't gonna know that. They yeah. are not a <laughs> professor in economics. And of course, they like just want a tip. So they're like, oh my God, it's so hard here. I don't have food. Like, I'm like, you, taxi drivers are one of the richest people in Cuba. So I'm like, they're definitely playing it up. And like, I right. would too. If I was a taxi driver, I would totally play some tourists. Listen, get it how you live. Exactly. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'm going to hire real professionals that mm-hmm. can actually talk about and they can discuss anything they want so that they can also add in that, like, is there racism in your profession? Do you face any obstacles? Right. Things like that, that people can ask and might, that might be relevant to them. And and sometimes people are surprised where they're like, oh, no, I feel very, you know, this these things have been set up so that I don't feel marginalized or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, it is kind of cool to see the differences between the U.S. and Cuba but yeah I love that you are supporting the smaller businesses and the marginalized communities in Cuba I think that's something that doesn't get highlighted very often for me when I'm traveling it feels kind of I feel bad I feel sad when I'm supporting like the biggest you know business and I'm not actually supporting the local stuff so even when I stay in like hotels I'm a hotel stayer because I get scared Um, but I, even when I stay in hotels, I try to stay in like the smaller establishments that are like boutique hotels. Yeah. Yeah, The boutique ones. I totally agree. Yeah. We, um, well, we do similar, like, well, I always say Havana is the bougie part. And then we go to the countryside of Cuba and you're actually staying in like somebody's house and eating with them and stuff. But, but Havana, we do rent out like boutique hotels that are family owned or large mega mansions that mm-hmm. well during the Cuban revolution mega mansions used to be owned by white Spaniards but they were split up and every family got a room and a lot of those families came together to put to put together a giant mansion they rent that out as their income so we all rent it from them that's cool um so that people still do get you know like a little bougie feel yeah but yeah. then then you go to the farm and you're like okay well you're gonna stay in this family home yeah so. <laughs> um so yeah we definitely do that and I also love that our professors are really young that was another thing I wanted um to do because I was like so many people I'm 30 mm-hmm. and so many people don't see me as a professor because you know I don't look like a professor whatever that means (laughs) and so I was like you know what I want all young people I want young professors because I think it we need to combat that like oh young people aren't intelligent we don't have solutions whatever I'm like actually I feel like we have more of a pulse and like what the future needs than oh 100 these old people making these policies so um So all of all of our professors are really young. And so that, you know, we have class with them and like class is fun. It's like hands on. It's not like it's it's an experience. It's not like you're sitting in a classroom. No, taking notes. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. it's like it's an experience like you're you're it's interactive. However, after um, we invite them all like to come out with us. So you like party with them Mm -hmm. outside of class. (laughs) And so I think it gives like fun well-rounded experience because then they can tell you like you actually see them in their regular lives like when they're Mm -hmm. not like in their doctor coat or whatever it's personable like it feels personable I went to Barcelona last year by myself um it was my first time taking a solo trip and I had never been to Europe and I've always wanted to go to Barcelona um and I linked up with this group called Black Girls of Barcelona and And I just started like hanging out with them and it was the best. Like I had the best time. I mean, I kicked it with them like every day. 
Um, and they're still friends. I'm still friends with them. Like it just was such a great experience. Um, I love that. I also love that groups like that are happening. Like when mm-hmm. I, I recently went to London and I got, to, I did a black heritage walk. I think mm-hmm. it's called black heritage tour. Totally different perspective. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. Like he pointed out, he was like, do you see all these lions all over London? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. You just like, yeah. So like lions, like I see that on the coat of armor everywhere. Right. Like, so it's not a big deal. And he was like, are there lions in London? And I was like, no. He's like, so where do you think these lions (laughs) come from? uh, I was like, oh my God, I never even thought about that. And he's like, this is how deep-rooted colonialism is. It's like, it's normal for you to think that a lion, it should be associated with England when there's no lions. There's no lions. Yeah. I was shook. And it was so simple, right? Like, duh. Yeah. But I love that people are reclaiming their history. I love that people are pointing out how these empires got built. Because it wasn't... um, (laughs) It wasn't without help. Yeah. Uh, or force. Yeah. So I love that um, these groups are happening to to reclaim land and make mm-hmm. it normal. Yeah. And space and everything else. It's like when we were in, we were at the park and I think it was probably like 15 of us and we were the only group or especially large group of black people in the park and it just felt so good like it was like wow this is really cool like people weren't really like staring at us or anything which was cool um because i feel like in the u.s people would stare at us i don't know i'm just saying i live in portland so oh yeah (laughs) but you know like nobody was it was just beautiful it was just wonderful such a great experience and the girl who started she was telling me she was like you know i never when i first started this i just wanted to make some friends Cause she had, when she went to school there, um, she's from the UK. She's like, I just wanted to make some friends. And like this started and it grew into something so much bigger. And it, it makes me so happy now that like we have like events and when people move here, they're like, oh, when people visit, like I just happened to like look it up and I was like, oh great, you know, this is wonderful. So it was great. We had wonderful conversations. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, so I know that you highlight people from around the world when you do your travels. I wanted to know who are the top two most fascinating people that you've met that like people whose story just blew your mind. Dang, that is a really good question. So I often, I haven't met this person, but I've featured them before. Her name is Judith and I think she's from South Africa. Uh Uh-huh. But she went on like an eat, pray, love trip. Um, she actually told me like all the juicy details and DMs, but left it out of her story. But <laughs> basically she like got a, she had this like elaborate romantic relationship with this man in a, in a nearby country. And then they got like secret married or something. Ooh. And then they had a baby and it was like, it was like literally reading like a novella. I was like waiting. I was like watching the little like typing circles. I was like, what's next? Like <laughs> waiting to hear the rest of the story. And anyway, the story that she submitted was how submitted was when she got a divorce. Um, she literally hopped on a train and like traveled up the continent of Africa and her and alone, like completely alone, solo and was like said that like she had read things about her own continent and believed them Mm. 
about how like, you know, people are starving in the next country over Mm -hmm. or whatever in Uganda or Kenya or whatever. And she was like, then I went to visit and it was like sky rises and buildings. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why did I even think to believe this? Westernization. (laughs) And so not only did I feel like her her journey was so relatable and beautiful because she was discovering who she was. She also was discovering how f- fucked up the world was that she even believed her own. Yeah. She even believed that, you know, about other African countries thinking mm-hmm. that it wasn't like she was not part of that. Yeah. And so, and then she just also like sent the most gorgeous photos of like the places, I think the six countries she visited. So I really, really loved Judah's story. Um, and then I really liked, uh, there's another guy. I also haven't met him, but I do plan to one day when we can travel again. Mm-hmm. Um, but his his handle is Iranian Nomad. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you get an Iran stamp in your passport, you usually can't come back inside the country without like a lot of questioning. And yeah. you could get detained at the border and all of that stuff, which is a big reason why I never put Iran on my map. Yeah. I was like, oh, like one of those countries like Afghanistan mm-hmm. or... Mm-hmm. Yemen, like I'm yeah. not gonna go there. Yeah. And then um he would write me and he was like super intelligent. And I was like, huh, I'm gonna like click on his page. And then I was like, yo, like Iran looks beautiful. Do you mind doing a takeover? I think like other people should see like what Iran is like. And so he did this beautiful takeover about like Iran and what things we should know, places we should visit. Mm-hmm. And like the architecture to the sustainable s- sustainability to the history like it's like so much older than anything I've like really come into contact with and it's so diverse as well like Mm -hmm. he covered like from white white blue-eyed white er red hair Iranians to Mm -hmm. like you know black Iranians with like very Asian looking eyes that Mm -hmm. I was like I've never seen these people before and it's like all in one country and so I think about him a lot also because I feel like one, why was Iran, why did, again, like Judith, why did I believe what was being taught to me? Um, And why did I take Iran off my list? Or why why was it never on my list? And like, two, why were these images like never shown to me? Mm -hmm. And he actually responded to that in in another Instagram takeover where actually Nat Geo, you're not allowed to contract any Iran people in Iran. So all of the travel stuff that you see is all foreign like contracts. Mm. So like they'll contract a journalist in Britain to go to Iran, take the photos, take everything or whatever, but they're Mm. never from the perspective of an Iranian person because it's like illegal to like make, make, um, payments to them. That's crazy. Right. And you would think like, damn, like, and he, so he was like, yeah. So I've seen like Nat Geo or BBC news Mm -hmm. use my photo without payment, not tell me. And they get to frame it however they want. They take right. it out of context. Mm-hmm. And he was like, all of these publications that we think, you know, we I used to think Nat Geo was the shit or BBC News was at least believable. But I'm like, he's like, you have no idea how frustrating it's been to watch all of the Western media and be in Iran and have them talk about us. Yeah, I can and imagine. So, yeah, I have like a really... I have a thick circle of Iranian friends. Um, shout out to the coven. 
And uh, one of my really good friends, Catherine Kavari, she's an actress, and she uh, talks about Iran all the time. She wore on the red carpet to, she was in Big Little Lies, and she wore a dress on the red carpet that says, my Iranian mother taught your children how to speak English or read English or whatever. And she told me one time, um, she's like, before I went to Iran for the first time, I was a little girl and she's from Oakland. And she's like, my mom, I'm in the car with my mom. And she, I'm like seeing the abandoned buildings in Oakland and saying like, oh, are we in Iran? She doesn't know like the distance and stuff like that. And she, her mom's like, no, why do you think that? She's like, oh, cause the buildings look like on TV. She was talking about like the way that Western culture basically shows what Iran looks like. And it's like, that's not what it looks like at all. So she made this really beautiful video. I can send it to you. Um, but a really beautiful video about going home to Tehran and like spending time with her grandparents. And like, I mean, her and there's another girl who's in on, she goes with uh, myself named Farron or Farron's also Iranian. And um, they are really, really interested in like dispelling these negative you know, images yeah. of the Middle East period, honestly. Like, totally. It's crazy the way it's portrayed, even on TV and everything else. It's like these places are gorgeous, beautiful, lush places. And they're just always portrayed as like desolate, war torn, all these things. And like, you know, I I just, I don't know. I, I really do. I'm putting Iran, Iran has been on my list for a while. Obviously, we can't go anywhere right now, but I definitely want to take that trip eventually. Yeah, I th- and I think this goes to a really good point to what both of us do actually is like, it's really important that media is mm-hmm. made by POC, especially WOC. Mm-hmm. And because if not, other people get to one misrepresent us. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't take up space, someone will take up that space for you and mm-hmm. they will misrepresent you. It does it's not like you're not going to exist. You're going to exist how they want you to exist. Oh yeah. Through their lens. Exactly. So I think that's what I've been coming to the conclusion more and more and more is like, I just have to create more media that I want to see mm-hmm. because if I don't, then there's just going to be a void that somebody else is going to take up and mm-hmm. I don't need them really to do that. And so like you creating this podcast is like creating media that you want to hear. You're going to ask completely different questions right. to me from your perspective than another Karen. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's not always going to be perfect, especially no, as we start to like, to be. no. And that's the thing. I'm like, I'm not a perfect human being. I've been problematic. I was problematic yesterday. So, <laughs> I mean, Like, I don't agree with myself during the day, so I don't expect you to agree with me all the time. And it's all a learning process, Mm -hmm. but at least I'm producing and at least I'm creating. What are you doing? Right. right, And so when people are criticizing and I see it, I see it happening a lot now, maybe just because people got time during COVID-19. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, listen, whatever it gets put out, at least it was a creation. At At least it was. POC and not somebody else. Right. So if you don't like it, create yours. And that way we are taking up a collective space, right? Right, right. I always say, as I say this in entertainment too, because by trade, I'm a producer and I'm always like, you know, that it's white supremacy that makes us feel like multiple lanes for us can't exist. Like we can't, like that there can't be more than four black producers. Like there can't be 
more than, you know, um, like three prominent black TV show creators. Like that's white supremacy that makes us think that because white people never think that. They always think there could be plenty of me going around and we need to have the same mentality. Exactly. And I think it's the same with podcasts. It's the same thing with travel. It's the same thing with any kind of industry. Like we can exist and be plentiful just like everybody else, you know? Yes, exactly. And not only do those white people not do that to each other, they help each other. They're like, oh, "Oh, you want to start a hedge fund? Let me give you all of my tips, Bob. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whereas like, I, I feel like when I, I'll ask for help and they're like, uh, I don't have time for this. Or mm-hmm. they, they see it as like a competition. I'm like, mm-hmm. we could totally collaborate. Like my come up is your come up. And like, I love to collaborate. Me too. That's the like way to do it. So let's talk a little bit about this COVID thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious to know uh, right now, you know, since we're in the strange times, quote unquote, uh, even though I don't feel like it's that strange, but that's just me. Um, where Where's your focus lying? I know that like since you're not, I mean, you obviously can't travel. Um, you could probably get in a car and go somewhere. But like, where is your focus lying at the moment? Well, first of all, why don't you think it's strange? I don't think it's strange because I feel like we've seen this before, just maybe not in our lifetime. I also think like I'm I'm a kid that I was born in the 80s and I've seen a lot of really crazy stuff happen. I feel like I lived across the street from the Pentagon on 9-11. Like I remember walking downstairs and seeing like a triage of people getting like treated and stuff, you know, so it's like I I feel like this country First of all, um, I never felt like our president would be equipped to handle any kind of like major disaster. So when I found out that this was going on, I was like, oh, we're about to be screwed. You know, <laughs> like I just kind of saw that coming. I'm not really surprised. I'm also my, probably a little jaded. I'm not really surprised by things going awry. I'm not surprised by people being very individualistic and not wanting to help out with, you know, staying home and And, you know, when I saw the protests happening, I was like, oh, this doesn't shock me at all. Like, of course, you know. Um, So for me, it doesn't feel strange because I feel like it's just and I'm not trying to disregard anybody else's feelings of anxiety or anything like I'm just as anxious as other people. I'm probably more anxious, but that's my regular base of anxiety. (laughs) Like that kind of that's where I'm at 24 seven. So, like, I don't know. For me, it doesn't feel that strange. The only thing that feels strange is, like, I'm not physically with people that I usually am with, but, like... Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, (laughs) But, sorry, what was your question about COVID? Oh, I was asking, like, (laughs) so since, like, I mean, you know, traveling is what you do, like... Oh, what am I concentrating on? Yeah, what are you concentrating on at the moment? So... Right now, I am doing, we're traveling digitally, so I'm streaming a lot of stories um, from all over the world. So people have been submitting stories, and I've been paying them to, to like, you know, throw some COVID-19 funds at yeah. marginalized people. So yesterday, I, we learned about locust swarms in Uganda, which I did not know about. Um, today, I streamed about a Black woman living in France, sorry, Spain, because mm-hmm. she uh, needs health care. And she was like, what do I look like going back to Georgia when I can get free health care in Spain? Lift his son. That is a word. (laughs) A message. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I had so many people write in like, damn, that was a good idea. On my way. Like, (laughs) you know. Um, And I thought the same thing. Like, Cuba has such free good health care. Like, I'm like, "Mm." Anyway, so 
basically I've been concentrating on those takeovers, trying to like get people traveling, mind off COVID-19, although a lot of it is COVID-19 related, but it's kind of like success stories. Like this is what we're doing. This is how we're helping. This is like, I'm a leader of this task force. Right. Um, And it gets kind of, to me, it's empowering to see people cooperate together. And that's another thing. Like I can't stand content that is so negative. Yeah. Because I'm like, where is the solution? If you're going to, if you, and I try to do this also, if I'm going to present a problem, I always want to come up with a solution. What are some actionable steps? Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's just performative activism. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just, this is trauma porn. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if if it's not, if there's no solution to it, I'm not streaming it. So I really like to stream like cooperation, positivity, And if there is an issue or oppression that is brought up, what is the actionable step that we can all take? Mm -hmm. Um, So that I've been concentrating on that. And also I have been assembling a team of people to try to take the Instagram lessons off of Instagram. So I've been fighting about like, do I want to expand to Facebook, YouTube? I've decided I don't want to do that, but maybe other people can do that for me. And I decided to do, to assemble a team to be able to expand across platforms. And then also to make really legit, like educational, downloadable, easy to digest booklets that, so a lot of people will adapt my stories and teach it in class. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, they'll use it in elementary schools, universities, all of these things. But, you know, my content is super like, fuck shit, whatever. Yeah, but I mean, that's honesty. It is, but not for third graders. Okay, yeah. And so so I've been trying to create um, like actual PowerPoints or downloadable things for teachers to adapt. That that way they are learning from the teachers that I've hired. Like there was this this, uh, Hawaiian woman that did, did this beautiful chant and taught about her culture and her ancestors. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. why shouldn't that be streamed in the university? Yeah. So, you know, creating a deal with her to be like, Hey, can we expand this lesson to like reach more audiences that like it can be a resource now. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I've been concentrating on not making money off of it right now. But, um, my thing has always been making education accessible. So making a very low cost product. Cause right now the only product I have is Cuba trip and that's mm-hmm. 15, 1500, $50, which actually isn't a lot for like yeah. a six day trip. No. Yeah. But, um, still like not everybody got that kind of money to just go learn. Yeah. So I've been wanting to create like a more low cost product. And mm-hmm. so now is the time since I got time. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Good. I mean, that's a great thing to focus on. It. I love the idea of bringing that education into the schools. Like we were just talking about all of the things yesterday, me and the girls were talking about all of the things that we did not learn in school yeah. or like the ways that we learned things. And we're like, wait a minute, that's not true at all. Like just it's mind blowing. <laughs> like it's just yeah. mind blowing. Um, let me ask you this. How do you think the travel industry will change after this? Like what obstacles do you foresee and like what positives do you foresee? So I don't know. I, I think it could go two ways. One, having an Instagram, you realize that people have the attention span of a gnat <laughs> and after 15 seconds, they're done with you. Like they aren't scrolling to the next thing. Right. So I'm like, is COVID-19 going to be a scroll situation? Like, are we going to be like, all right, cool. That's that thing that happened for, you know, a couple months. And then we yeah. just scroll past. Uh, I don't have confidence in the human memory to hold on to this for a long time. So I don't mm-hmm. really see it being like, 
something that's going to have hard sticks. It could, you know, now um, require a lot more sanitizing situations, which isn't a bad thing. Like those airplanes have been filthy for years. Like, oh, listen. <laughs> and so I am here for that change. Yeah, for sure. But like wearing masks and stuff. Well, if you follow my Instagram, you know how I feel about masks, but Basically, I feel like they, without education, without proper instructions, masks are pretty much useless. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just went to the store and this guy had a bandana on his head, a face, <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, if, like, you're going to come into an airplane with a bandana, like, what is the point? Yeah. I'm just like, so I don't really believe in, like, that will stick. And also, they're really uncomfortable and hard to breathe in. So, yeah, I don't think that they're going to stick. But maybe people will be more conscious and wear a mask if they, they are sick. Like, yeah. who knows? Personal space, possibly. Yeah, Might exactly. A real thing. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. So, I think things will become cleaner. But I mm-hmm. think some things would kind of just be forgotten about. And yeah. I think as soon as people can touch each other and breathe, people are going to be all up oh. on each other. <laughs> That's just me personally. Yeah. <laughs> I just know that, like, when my friends and I, like, we had all been quarantined for, like, over a month, and finally we were like, do y'all want to come over and play games? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I was like, we each got a couch, you know, and so we, like, and Keeping then, the I don't distance, know. But yeah, yeah. We broke the distance, but then all of a sudden my friend Richard came over, and he just, like, came and hugged all of us, and we were like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not supposed to be touching us. He was like, oh, I forgot. I just haven't touched anybody in, like, a month. I just yeah. wanted to hug people, and so... Then it just became like a hug fest. And granted, yeah. we were all quarantined, like hadn't come into contact with anybody. But I was like, this does feel good. And it's I responsible, feel like, responsible touching. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like people are totally going to be into like, I don't know. Like, I, I've thought about this myself, like with the Kiwa trips. I'm like, are people going to want to take salsa class anymore? Or all the, are the instructors going to want to give the yeah. class? Because it's like touching hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to have to put gloves on each other's oh, hands? Oh, that would be sad. I know. And I'm like... <laughs> I don't know. I feel yeah. like they too will want to like normalcy. Like it's honestly traumatic. Yeah, it is. It is. I can I can definitely see that. I, I didn't even think about dancing. I, I didn't even it didn't even occur to me. Cause I love to salsa dance and yeah. I mean it's such a close you know, it's a, yeah. it's a close thing. So I mean that yeah. is that's really interesting to think about. I I hadn't given that much thought, but um man, and that would had, be sad. It would be sad. And then we've had many a romance on our tours, which Mm-hmm. If, I feel like you're not getting the full experience if you're not having a romance. But, right. Um, <laughs> no, I feel you. But I'm like, are those going to, like, continue? Because that's the best part for me. I'm like, dang, did she come home last night? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know>? exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm like, are we going to continue to keep kiss strangers? Or, like, are we going to continue dancing? Like, what is this all going to look like? But yeah. it, to me, I think we will just because... I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. I don't know. I hear you. I, I, I hope that we can get back to our normal. I mean, I do think, I hope that people are more mindful, of course, like cleanliness, you know, but I do, I do hope we can get back to normal in that way in which like closeness is still a thing. Yeah. What still, do you think the travel, travel industry is going to look you know, like? I, I don't know. Like, again, like I did see all the changes after 9-11 and everything and, um, but then I also see now the concessions, like, because to me, having TSA pre-check and not having to take off your shoes is a concession that has been made, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like, I'm, I think there are going to be airlines that 
um, are going to start trying to practice maybe some social distancing. I mean, obviously they can't reconstruct the planes, but maybe the three seater is going to be gone or the, you know what I mean? Maybe there'll be like screens, like screens up and stuff, just kind of how they are in the stores now as well for germs, things like that. Hopefully they do take sanitizing the planes more seriously. I do feel like there are some that are being a bit more responsible, which is great. Um, I'm looking for the people. Honestly, the thing that I'm really looking for are the companies that are helping out their uh, employees. Yeah, That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking at everybody's COVID response. If I feel like you are not, I'm not flying you anymore. I'm not staying in your establishment. Like you, that's important to me. And that's one of the things that I feel like change-wise is going to happen. Like, hopefully those places and those businesses will be outed, and then, you know, it'll be a wrap for them. Yeah, true, true. Business practices are... Yes. Well, before you go, um, I want to know, who do you love to listen to and love to follow? Um, I really love Traveling Fro. Um, she's not really travel anymore, but she's very, like, brand-related, and she has such hard boundaries I like her sound bites that are just like, protect you, save you, like you have other things to offer to the world and not everybody's gonna appreciate that about you, move on. Um, so I I need to hear that a lot because I'm like always like feeling like, did I hurt somebody's feelings? Should I do better? Like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no girl, move on. Like we, we are booked and busy anyway. So I really like listening to her. And another educator that I really admire is Teach and Transform. She's a Korean educator and she works on anti-bias, anti-racism work within schools. And I learned from her also on like, I would say sometimes my tone is a little bit too militant or sassy or whatever. And she delivers in such a strong, forceful way without ostracizing people, which is something that I need to work on in my communication skills. I recognize that it's not always the best way. So I really admire that about her. But those are the two people I would say right now. I want to thank Dr. Kiana for joining me, and you can check her out at How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch on Instagram. Sweet, thank you.